You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. I'm going to talk about idols this morning. As the Lord has been talking to me about idols in my own life, and I, I think, you know, of all years of, of being a Christian my whole life, I've heard messages on idols and, and uh, you know, pinpointed certain ones, but it's felt like lately the Lord has just been dealing so deeply, so strongly in my heart. And it's like I, I, I think things and I go to do things and the Lord's like, oh, do you see that? Oh, do you see that? And it's like, you know, wow, there's so much that you don't even recognize in your life that you build idols or you build altars for things. And, you know, an idol is anything that you place in front of God. It's anything that takes first place. An idol is anything that and I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, that when the Lord asks you to surrender and you don't want to surrender it, it could be a good chance that's an idol in your life. And that's a really sobering thought. As I think about my own life and I think about the things in my life of what, if God put his finger on and said, I want you to surrender that to me, there are some things I'd be like, sure. You don't want me to cook supper anymore? Sure. <laughs> but then there's things that it's like, well, but what or who would I be without that? Or what would I do without that? And this has been my thoughts lately. But my other thought has been everything that I am and everything that I have is because of him. And it goes so much deeper than that that sometimes we think that because of the choices or the, you know, I went to school for this, so I'm really smart in this, and I have favor because of my amazing personality or, or I don't know, whatever, right? Like, I have what I have because I did this. I promise you it's not. And you quickly recognize that when God goes to move you on to something else or is requiring something, and when he takes his hand off of something, you thought it was just naturally you that you recognize, oh my gosh, it was all him. And so I'm going to start in in Isaiah 44. And, And it says, but now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one, the Lord who made you and helps you says, 
Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord, and others will say, I'm a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own. As he's saying, it's been me, it's me. I'm the one that helps you. I'm the one that does these things. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's army. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Just that statement alone, I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times. When I established a people and explained its future, do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? And he says, no. There is no other rock, no one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God an idol and cannot help him one bit? It goes on to talk about making idols. He's like, they don't, even, they don't even recognize that they're taking wood to make a fire. And then from the fire that they made from that wood, they're cooking food. And then from what's left over on that wood, they carve an idol. It's like, they're making idols. Out of something that's not real. It says, verse 16, he burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep it and to keep himself warm. And then he says, ah, that fire feels good. I like this. Then he takes what's left and he makes his God a carved idol. And he falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it, saying, Rescue me, you are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Whew, that hit me. One, he, he trusts something that can't even help him at all. 
And I wonder what in our lives are we trusting in and holding on to that can't help us at all? Things, and it could be like wide ranges of things, right? Like it, it could be your job. It could be all the things that you've made yourself to be. It could be your identity. It could be your ministry. Or it could be the addiction. Or it could be unforgiveness that you hold on to. And then it says, is this idol that I'm holding, never stops to ask himself, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Because when you think about it, everything, what if what you put your trust in, what if it's gone tomorrow? We use money. What if you have money in the bank and you're like, you know what? As long as I have that money in the bank, I feel secure and I feel safe. And oftentimes what happens is we're like, as long as I have these things in place, God, you're first. I'm, I, I, I can worship you. But when those are taken away, suddenly, God, where are you? And so then I ask you the question then, is the things that you've built in your life, the things that you say, I feel safe when, when, I feel happy when, if these things were in place, then I'm good. If those things are all in place, is it really truth? Or is it really a lie? Are you really safe? Or maybe, or maybe it's unforgiveness you're dealing with. And I really felt this when I, when I was praying this morning that, that there is somebody that, it, that has unforgiveness in their life and there's no shame here for that. But there's this unforgiveness in your life and the Lord has spoke to you about it. That you, you must let this go from your life. You must. But you're holding on to it so tightly and I ask you, is what that unforgiveness is saying to you, is it truth? Or is it a lie? Is holding on to it really making your life better? Is holding on to it really fulfilling what you want it to do? Or maybe it's addiction that you deal with. 
Is it telling you the truth? And I just felt like as I, I was reading this in my own life, that God was like, you need to ask yourself some questions. Are some of the things in your life that you're holding on to, are they truth or are they a lie? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, I'm going to read it in the New Living and then I'm going to read it in the Amplified, but it says, Dear children, keep away from everything that might take God's place in your heart. In the Amplified, it says, little children, keep yourself from idols, from false gods, from anything and everything that would occupy the place in your heart due to God. From any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. From anything and from everything that would occupy the place in your heart from God. from any sort of substitute. Do I have substitutes in my life for the place where God is supposed to be? Because God cannot be second. He, he can't be. He's first. He can't fit into the place of second. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, So kill, deaden, deprive of power, the evil desire lurking in your members, those animal impulses, and all that is earthly in you that is employed in sin, sexual vice, impurity, sensual appetites, unholy desires, and all greed and covetousness, covetedness, for that is idolatry. And look at this, the deifying of self and other created things instead of God. You know what deifying means? It is the act or process of exalting to the position of God. was idolatry, putting something else in the position that God was supposed to be in. You know what God told me? You've placed yourself in the position that I'm supposed to be in. sometimes not even recognizing it. Well, like I said, where we think I got here because of me. I've done all this because of me. In Jonah,
In Jonah chapter one, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. And I love this, because it doesn't even miss a beat. It's like, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. Like, God spoke, and he's like, nope, <laughs> going that way. <laughs> like, doesn't even question it. He just rose up and just started walking the other way. Who's done that? I've done that. He says, it says he rose up to flee from Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord as his prophet. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish, that's a hard word to say. So he paid the appointed fare and went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish <laughs> from being in the presence of the Lord as his servant and minister. But the Lord sent out a great wind upon the sea and there was a violent tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and each man cried to his God and they cast the goods that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So this storm comes and they're like, what the heck's going on? And so they start throwing things overboard to try and save themselves in the middle of the ship. And the Lord said to me, when, when, when you are in disobedience and when you start running from my presence, you will start losing things. When the Lord asks you to do something, obey. Because sometimes we don't recognize it's like, why would you ask this of me? Why would you want this? But he knows. It's his protection. And so they, they start throwing things overboard. Jonah's laying, sleeping, and so they go down there, and they're like, really, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Get up. There's a storm. And so he, Jonah gets up, and they're like, we got to find out who is guilty of this. Like, who's the person this storm has been sent for? And so they, it's as they cast lots. They, Jonah draws the short straw, and it's like, it's you. And Jonah's like, yes, it is me. And they're like, who are you, and what have you done? And he says, I am a Hebrew, and I serve God. And they become terrified. And they're like, what do we do to stop this? He says, I've run from the presence of God. And so the only way, he says, that you're going to stop this is if you throw me overboard. And they're like, no way. We are not having blood on our hands. And so they start rowing even harder to try to get through the storm. And it's not working. And so Jonah says, you know, throw me overboard. And so they throw him overboard. And at the end of it, it says they took, verse 15, they took up Jonah and cast him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men reverently and worshipfully feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And I love this. Now the Lord prepared and appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I love this so much because 
even in, in Jonah, Jonah's disobedience, the Lord prepared and appointed a way for him to come back. Even in the middle of our running, when we surrender, there's something the Lord has appointed and prepared for us in the middle of it. And so Jonah too, Jonah's in the belly of the fish and he says, I cried out of my distress to the Lord and he heard me out of the belly of Sheol, cried I, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea and the floods surrounded me, all your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your presence and your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the extinction of life. The abyss surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped about my head. And I went down to the bottom and the very roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit and corruption. When my soul fainted upon me, crushing me, I earnestly and I seriously remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I earnestly and I seriously remembered. I was reading this even when the Lord's like, you made yourself an idol. And like, that's my deal. You, 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 you might have other things that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about, right? But that when I remember the Lord, that, that it's only him. That, that it's his hand on our life. That it's him that's gone ahead. That it's him that prepares the way. That it's him that causes people to come in our life. That it's him that orchestrates every little thing. It's him. And so Jonah's in the belly of the whale, and here I'd gone running from the presence of God, thinking that I could make it on my own, thinking that I could run from your presence, thinking that I could do what I want. And suddenly he's in the middle of a ship, a, a, a fish that God has appointed for him, appointed a moment. I believe that God has appointed a moment for us this morning that he has prepared something for us. That we begin to remember it was him. I am sustained in this life only because of him. And then he says this as he's remembering the Lord, he says, those who pay regard to false, useless, and worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy and loving kindness. But those that look to their own idols, they forsake the very source of his mercy and loving kindness towards us. And it's, and it's more than just, okay, 
has to be first, and he does, and, and there is no other place for him to be, not in our lives. He has to be first. The Bible says those that seek him first, all these things will be added unto us. That's divine order. That's the kingdom of God. But then there are times where we seek after the things first, and that becomes the idol in our life, whatever the thing may be. Maybe you're seeking for healing in other places. Maybe you're seeking fulfillment in your soul in other places. Maybe your trust is in other places. Or your identity in other places. But the divine order of heaven, the divine order of God, the structure of the kingdom of God is I am first and you will see things begin to settle. So here's the thing. When things in your life are not settled, that's when you begin to evaluate what is my first in my life? Because the Bible says that if you seek me first, everything will be added unto you. So if there is disruption in that, what is my first? What has become my first? I think this is something we need to look at on a regular basis. What's become my first? So it's more than just this, though, because God is so gracious that when there are idols in your life, it gives entrance to the enemy. It gives entrance to the enemy to be at work in your life. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10. And, and Paul is talking to the church. He's talking to believers, and he's talking to them about idols. He says, for I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, that our forefathers were all under and protected by the cloud in which God's presence went before them and every one of them passed safely through the Red Sea. And each one of them allowed himself also to be baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they were thus brought under obligation to the law, to Moses and to the covenant, consecrated and set apart to the service of God. And all of them ate the same spiritual, supernaturally given food. And they all drank the same spiritual, supernaturally given drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock which followed them, produced by the sole power of God himself without natural instrumentality. And the rock was Christ. So here he's saying again, it was all him. Every single moment he provided for them. He was following them. He went ahead of them. All of it. He goes, nevertheless... God was not pleased with the great majority of them, for they were overthrown and strewn down along the ground in the wilderness. Now these things are examples, they are warnings and, and admonitions for us not to desire or crave or covet or la lust after evil and carnal things as they did. Do not be worshipers of false gods as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink the sacrifices offered to the golden calf of Horeb and rose to sport and to dance, to give, to give way to jesting and hilarity. 
We must not gratify evil desires and indulge in immorality as some of them do. did. And 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. We should not tempt the Lord, try his patience, become a trial to him, critically appraise him and exploit his goodness as some of them did. And look at this. And were killed by poisonous serpents. If you look up that word, poisonous serpents, it's talking about demonic activity. Not discontently complain as some of them did and were put out of the way entirely by the destroyer. Who's the destroyer? What did the enemy come to do? To steal, kill, and destroy. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, who feels sure that he has steadfast mind and is standing firm, take heed lest he fall into sin. And I jump down to verse 18. Consider those people of Israel are not those who eat and sacrifice partners of the altar united in the worship of the same God. What do I imply then? The food offered to idols is intrinsically changed by the fact and the amounts to anything or that an idol itself is a living thing? No. He says, is the idol living? No. It's, it's not alive. It's nothing. But then he says, what am I implying then? The food offered to idols, excuse me. No, I'm suggesting that what the pagan sacrifice they offer in effect to demons, to evil spiritual powers, and not to God at all. I do not want you to fellowship and be partners with diabolical spirits by eating at their feasts. You cannot drink the Lord's cup and the demon's cup. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the demon's table. He's saying are the, the idols themselves, they've made, they're not real, but the demons behind it are. You know, in the world today, you, there's a lot of stuff being normalized. Stuff that, that wasn't normal 15 years ago. We knew by the word of God, but now it's like, well, maybe. Well, maybe this is okay. Well, may, things that are being normalized. There's a story that I'm reminded of. There was a man who was really into new age, big time into new age and all the new age things and, and, and was, was getting a lot of healing in his soul from it. And uh, he was really into uh, mushrooms. Yeah, we're talking about mushrooms this morning. And, and it, this has become a way of our society today. I am amazed but that people take mushrooms on a regular basis like every day they're taking microdoses of mushrooms and and so he was taking microdoses of mushrooms but he was also um you know entering these 
weekend things where they would take mushrooms and they did it um, to heal from trauma in their life. And so he was healing from these little bits of trauma in his life and he felt like he was getting freedom. And so every time he took it, there was more healing that was taking place. And then he finds Jesus. And Jesus just wrecks him, changes everything. And he lets go of all of that stuff. And he's running hard after Jesus. And this, he started to begin to think, well, I had some freedom and I had some healing here and there when, when I did those mushroom trips. I wonder if I could take some Jesus and some mushrooms. <laughs> because it wasn't bad. It didn't, it didn't seem bad to me then. I was getting free. I was getting healing. I wouldn't say it's getting free. It's getting healing. And so he decides that he's going to take some mushrooms, do another thing, and like add Jesus and mushrooms. It's going to be great, you know? And so he, he, he takes these mushrooms, and he ends up having this, he ends up um, over, overdosing. And, but anyways, he has this experience. And as he takes these mushrooms, he finds himself walking into a room with a table and the demons are sitting there. And they said to him, ah, so you've come back to eat with us. And immediately they attack him and they kill him. And he dies. And while he's dead, he has another experience where Jesus walks into the room and says, don't do that again. <laughs> and says, see, you were taking part of something that gave you little bits of freedom, but you always will be chasing it. You will always be chasing the next healing, the next little bit, but I'm everything. I'm it. Don't do that again. And he came back to life. Of, of, of healing, little bits of something that will numb me, little bits of this and little bits of that, little bits that make me feel safe. And Jesus says, don't do that. I'm everything. I'm it. I can settle it all. But recognizing that when there are idols in our life, it allows the enemy entrance into our life. And I'm seeing it more and more in my, in my own life of, of when God spoke and said, Kate, I want you to surrender that right now. Surrender it. And I took my sweet time. Because it was an idol to me. And watched how the enemy began to wreak havoc in that area. But there's good news because the blood of Jesus can 
cover that. And so I've found myself lately just like repenting, just repenting and repenting. Like, oh my goodness, God, I didn't see that. Thank you. Show me more. I, I want to get these things out of my life, these places that I have put above you. Sometimes not even recognizing that, that this has been, sometimes it's just been, you know, you know, what I was taught in my life, that these things need to be cast down so that you can be number one. And so I've been finding myself just repenting and running to the throne room of God, running to the mercy seat, like, God, I repent of this. I repent of this. I don't want this in my life anymore. Because it's always been you. It's always you. And then here's the great thing is that the blood of Jesus when you repent, it covers. It says it cleanses you from all unrighteousness. When it cleanses you from all unrighteousness, it means it removes the stain. The stain that that idol left that would pull you, that would continuously pull you back to that place, the blood of Jesus erases the stain. You're not going back to that place. You don't need to go back to that place. It covers. The blood of Jesus covers and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I'm just going to read Hosea. And then we'll finish Hosea 11. And this is just the love. This is just the love that God has for us. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. Offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. Look at I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck. I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through the cities and the enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. They, they don't recognize that it was me. I fed them. I gave to them. I provided for them. I taught them what they know it was me.
And so I just felt like, in our own hearts this morning that what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about. Uh, what things are in, in your heart that the Holy Spirit says, I want you to lay it down. I don't, I don't want you to do that. What becomes the struggle? And that recognizing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning. One, because he wants divine order in our life, but he wants us free. And that when he speaks, there's always mercy and grace. to walk things out, but there is always, always mercy. So what in your life, or like the first one we read, have you even considered that the truth you've bought is actually a lie? You know, maybe the world, there's a lot of stuff going on in social media. Maybe some of the stuff that they've told you. That you've accepted as truth and the Holy Spirit is saying to you, it's not truth. And you've wanted to hold on to that truth so, so much. Or maybe you're that person with the unforgiveness in your life. And I just want you to know that the Father wants you free. I think this is a word that's speaking this morning to destinies. That the enemy has been allowed to have entrance into your life because of those idols. And God the Father is saying, I, I don't want anything holding you back. So Father, right now, Thank you, Father. Let's just take a moment and begin to talk to the Father and say, Father, I hear you loud and clear. These are the things that I am repenting of. These are the things that I'm repenting of. I, I hear that there is actually some people here that are carrying shame really big. And you're actually trying to run from that shame. And it's actually becoming what is steering your life. Trying to get away from 
things that you've done, things that you're ashamed of. And I just hear the Lord say, if you begin to just speak them out, begin to repent for them. Begin, because the enemy's trying to hold you in darkness. He's trying to hold those things. The enemy loves secrets. But you begin to repent those, of those things and just say them out loud. Father, I repent of this. That shame is going to break off of your life. The Lord says, this is about your destiny. This is about your destiny. This is about the things that I've called you to do. And the enemy has been laughing because he's been able to hold you back. But my blood cleanses. And so, Father, right now we repent. We repent of those things that we've placed in our life that have been above you. We repent for making things idols. We repent for making our identity idols, other people idols, addictions idols, our ministry idols. Anything, Father, that we have placed, unforgiveness, an idol, hurts of the past, idols. Drugs, idols, pornography, idols. Gossip, idols. Bitterness, idols. Judgmental, judgment, idols. Self-promotion, idols. Selfishness, idols. Money, idols. Ourselves as idols. We repent, God. And cover us in your blood. We run to the mercy seat, God. Pour your blood out on every one of those things, God. Cleanse us. Erase the stain. Marcus is not guilty. And I speak to the enemy where his, he has been able to come in and wreak havoc in areas I speak to him and I say you have to go now you can't stay in any one of our lives in anyone here you can't stay you must go now you have no legal right to be here 
to those with addictions, enemy, you must leave now. Those who have financial trouble, where the enemy has been able to get in and move around, enemy, you must go now. You have no legal right. The Spirit of God. Where it has even felt like they haven't been able to breathe clearly. That there is breath that is entering into them right now in Jesus' name. For who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I declare freedom in Jesus' name. And God, we place you in the highest place. And Father, we look to you today and we just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your hand on our life. Thank you for going ahead of us. Thank you for preparing the way. Thank you for doing everything that you're pro providing food for us, providing shelter for us, giving us purpose, giving us hope. Father, thank you. Thank you. We look to you the first and the last and the beginning and the end. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.